Well, good morning. Thanks for uh, being here with us this morning. I announced, uh, I guess it was last evening, last Sunday afternoon, that unless I changed my mind, I would talk about um, this concept of free will versus uh, God's omniscience. And several people came up and said, I hope you don't change your mind. So that, that kind of uh, made me decide to not change my mind. It's a, it's a concept that we uh, see out in the world a lot. And, um, you know, I've even had family members come up and, you know, ask questions along this line. You know, if God loved us so much, why did he create a hell? If uh, he was so smart, you know, why did he give us free will where we would fall? If You know, all these kind of, I guess, in some way, thought-provoking questions that, um, you know, might give us a little bit of cause for pause when we listen to the questions. And so I did some, I've been studying this for a while, and I, I finally uh, put some thoughts together for you this morning, and um, hopefully it'll... Uh, uh, help us think a picture there of the the two pills if you're familiar with the of the old old uh, movie called the matrix where they had to make a choice you know they had to make a choice between two pills i don't even remember the concept of the movie but they had to choose uh, they had to make a choice and so questions like if god is omniscient or if he knows everything then why did he create people in such a way that they would sin and be lost or if you were god and you were omnipotent and could see Throughout all time, would you create a world where you knew beforehand the majority of the people would end up in an eternal hell? Or, I can't believe in a God that would claim to love us but would also condemn most people to hell. Or, why did God give man a free will if he knew we were just going to do evil? So questions along those lines. And they're all, <clears throat> they're all born of this, this concept of challenging God, and we'll talk a little bit about that. We're going to pick the one here that's got all these words and kind of talk about it a little bit more in a minute. But before we did that, I wanted to talk um, very briefly um, about some of God's attributes. And so to understand God a little bit, I thought we'd go to the Bible and see what the Bible says about God along some lines. Now, I had a whole bunch of scriptures and a whole bunch of attributes and when I practiced this this morning, the sermon was really long, so I cut some of those down. So we're just going to talk about uh, a few with some scriptures. But number one, God is sovereign. In Job 42 and 2, it says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So sovereign means you're in control. You you are king. You're in control. And the, the scripture here says, Job says, I know you're, the things you want to do can't be thwarted or they can't be stopped. You're, you're all powerful. You can do whatever you want to do. So God is sovereign. He's omnipresent. Jeremiah 23 and 24 says, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? God talking to uh, Jeremiah declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. He is omnipotent. So in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 18, it says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope to which you, which he has called you, what are the riches of his glory, inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the workings of his great might. So God is all powerful. He can do what it is that he wants to. And this morning we want to talk a little bit about this concept of omniscience. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 19, 
It says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and measure and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So this concept of God knows everything, this concept of God is everywhere, God is all-powerful, God God is almighty, those are all some of his attributes. Some more of his attributes are wisdom, and uh, he's infinite, he's been there forever, he will be forever, there forever, he's holy, he's, got, he's faithful to do what it is that he says he will promise, his covenants are, are he's faithful to uh, his covenants, he loves us, he's self-existent, he's self-sufficient, he's immutable. I had scriptures for all of these, justice and mercy, but this is where I cut some of the stuff out. He is all of those things completely, infinitely. He's infinitely mercy. There is, he's all mercy, he's all justice. He never changes, and there's scripture that backs up all of these. So when you think about God and you think about who he is, his attributes and then you start asking these questions that we had that we were talking about this morning. Maybe a little cause for pause there. So laying the groundwork. In Isaiah chapter 55, a verse that we're probably all familiar with talks about that his ways and his thoughts are not our ways and they're not our thoughts. God thinks differently than we do. And so when we start approaching these questions, we need to understand that we're doing it from a limited scope. We don't know everything he does. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. His ways aren't our ways. His ways are perfect. They're immutable. They don't change. They're, they're all of those attributes. All those attributes flow through this. In Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Now, this was in the Old Testament. This was back in Deuteronomy. But he says, number one, there's some stuff you don't know. And I think that's because we couldn't possibly hold it all. I mean, there's no way we could be all knowledgeable like he is. Omnipotent and omnipresent and all of those things. We can't be that. But what he does say is, he's given us enough stuff that we can do what we're supposed to do. We can do things according to the law. Now, that was talking about the old law, but similar verses in the New Testament. We've got everything that we need to do what God has asked us to do. Revelations chapter 4 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So it's important for us to also understand that God did what he did because he wanted to do it. He wasn't forced. He didn't, there was no need. He didn't need our love. He didn't need our glory. He didn't need us. He did it because he wanted to. We exist because he wanted us to exist. And we were created because he wanted to create us. There's nothing more than that. There's nothing less than that. So why did he create us? The Bible tells us some things that we can count on. It tells us why he put us on this earth. First of all, he put us on this earth, as we've already talked about in Psalms chapter 115 and 3. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He put us here because he wanted to. (laughs) 
It's just that simple. He created us because He wanted to. And to challenge that or to try to belittle that doesn't make any sense. He created us. He does He does everything because that's what He wants to do. There is no challenger. There is no, uh, you know, Jeremy bought the fight last night. Ron, Ron, Ronda, Ronda Rousey or whatever her name was. 34 seconds beat the other girl. There is no challenger. He's He's the world champion of all time. He does what he wants to do because that's what he wants to do. Isaiah 43 and 7 says, Everyone who is called by his name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. So he created us for his glory. That's why we're here. So when you do things or say things that are not glorious... For him, you're not doing the things he wants you to do. You're doing things that you weren't created to do. That's not your purpose on this earth. Your purpose on this earth is to glorify God. It tells us that explicitly in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Countless scriptures tell us that if we love God, we'll keep his commandments. That's what we're here for. So a lot of us think we're here to build our 401ks and to have families and to buy houses and to drive cars and to have jobs and to go to school and to do all those things. That's not what we're here for. We're here to fear God and keep His commandments. That's why we were put here. No other reasons. We're here to worship Him. That's why we're here. In John chapter 14 and verse number 5, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So, let's kind of summarize it so far. I built a little graph. I know there's some people listening uh, on the internet later, so I'll try to explain this as we go. But we've got kind of a circular process graph, and at the very top of that circle is God. And just to the right as we're going around that circle, it says that God has given us His goodness, His love, His mercy, and grace to His creation. So He created us. He put us on this earth. And He gave us... All that He is to us. He gave us His Son. He gave us His love. He gave us all of this stuff. And His his creation recognized, we're to recognize that and we're to love God for that. And because we love Him and recognize that gift, we worship Him faithfully. We're obedient to His commands. And that in turn is why we were put here and that glorifies God, right? So if we go around, if we go through that process, that's what the scriptures we read this morning said. He created us. He's given us His goodness because we recognize that. We obey Him. We love Him. We're obedient to Him. And when we do that, then we glorify Him. We'll come back to this in a minute. But all of this, when you're working in this harmony, it's a blissful, happy life with a great relationship with God. When you're outside of this harmony, you're, you're focused on other things, you're doing other things, that harmony may or may not exist. So back to the question of the morning. Let's talk about it a little bit. If you were God and you were omnipotent, or if you knew everything and could see throughout all of the time, would you create a world where you knew beforehand that the majority of people would end up in an eternal hell? So a show of hands if you'd create a world where the majority of the people end up in hell, right? Nobody's raising their hand. And that's the nature of the question. It's an inflammatory question. 
causing you to get on the side opposite of God. So recognize these questions and the way they're written a lot of times and the way they're asked have a specific purpose. And the purpose of that question is to get you alienated from God because of course you're not going to create a world where the majority of people go to hell. What person would do that? So the nature of the question is important to consider. And this particular question is worded in such a way to separate you from God just by answering it in a moral way, if you will. Secondly, the question starts off if if you were God. So just think about where we've come. 3,000 years ago, the Jews wouldn't even say the word Jehovah. And today, we're okay with being equal with God and asking a question and putting ourselves on the same plane with God Almighty. Think about where we've come. Think about all the great advancements that we've made. Or have we? Right? Or have we? Are we really that smart? Or were they smarter maybe 3,000 years ago than we were? What knowledge do we have of history, science, and physics, and all the stuff that went into building this world when, it, when you lay it alongside of the Almighty God who's all knowledgeable? He's got all knowledge. There's nothing he doesn't know. And so we challenge with a question like this. And here's a thought-provoking, if you will. Um, the the, The question uses the word majority. And that's easy for us to think about, right? Because we think about verses in the Bible that talk about the straight gate and the narrow way and... So when somebody throws this majority at us, we go, well, yeah, I'll probably believe that. Right? Well, I'll give you some statistics. Again, I don't know the answer to majority. But let's look at this little graph right here. So this is a a graph of the people that uh, died in 2010. So in 2010, 6% of the people that died in 2010 were under the age of 5. So most of us believe that that's you're not even to the age of accountability, so you know going to heaven, right? Forty million kids across the country and across the world were aborted. Forty million in one year. I'm saying they've got a soul and they're going to heaven. That only leaves about 52% of the people that died in 2010 that are ultimately going to be judged. So I ask you, is it a majority? Is it not a majority of the people that die are going to heaven? I don't know. But I can tell you it's a whole lot closer to not being a majority that are going to hell than you might think. When you know some just a few more facts than maybe you would think off the top of your head. And so we go to challenging God with our limited knowledge and our limited thanks-sos. And all of a sudden, just a few more statistics that are readily available to us today. You don't have to be God to know these statistics. And you go, wait a minute. Is the word majority that's in that question even the right word? I don't know. I question the use of that word majority now. I question the whole question, obviously. And you're, you're probably getting that knowledge this morning. But I don't think the question's the right question. 
I think it's very similar to Job as he had been questioning a lot of things. In Job 38 and verse number 5, God says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? See, I think we don't have any right to ask questions like this. I think questions like that belittle our God and certainly belittles our faith in Him. When we're asking questions like that, we don't, we're, 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 we're questioning His authority and His reigning over us. But I've got some other points that we'll look about as well. Do you know exactly what hell will be like? And so this, this concept of eternal hell, the Bible describes it in a lot of ways. But we don't know. We don't know. We know it's an eternal separation from God. We know He's this, this being that we love, that created, and we know we're separated from Him. But beyond that, you've got to start figuring out, okay, what is literal? What is figurative? Are we really going to be burning all the time? I don't know. I know God doesn't want us to go there. He tells us it's going to be bad for us. And He wants us to go to heaven. But again, before we start answering questions like this, we need more stuff. We need more knowledge that we don't have. So it's an improper question for us to even be considering. For God, it is all about the choice. And we'll talk a little bit about that for a minute. We're all familiar with Joshua 24 and 15. Joshua had conquered the land of Canaan. He'd given it to the, to the people. And he says, I don't know who you're going to serve. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Many of us have it hanging in our house. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a choice. Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse number 19 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Talking to the children of Israel, God has always wanted us to make a choice. And He's always wanted us to choose life. He's always wanted us to choose being with Him. We talked earlier about Matthew 7, talking about the broad way that leads to destruction and the narrow way that leads to life eternal. Choose the narrow way begging us to choose the narrow way to be with Him. And then there's this concept that, uh, that's talked about in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. He said, He's not willing that any should perish. So God wants to give us the time to make the right choice. He's trying to give us all the time that we need to make the right choice. And I'm confident that when you stand before the Almighty God, the answer is not going to be that you would have made a different choice if you had more time. I don't think that's going to be an answer. I don't think it's going to be a viable answer. Because I think when you're looking at this Almighty created being face to face, you're going to realize I had enough time. You're not even going to want to utter those words. You're going to know I had enough time. There were decision points in my life and I chose something different. Or I chose Him. That's what He's hoping. Choose life. But it is all about the choice. I want to talk to you about value just for a minute. And then we'll get back to um, that graph that we showed earlier. 
But there's this concept of value, and value can be broken down into two different pieces. One is intrinsic value. And intrinsic value is where something has a value in and of itself. It doesn't need anything else to give it value. It has value because of what it means or what it stands for, and not mean not merely as a means of acquiring something else. Complicated concept, but hopefully after I get through this explaining this, it'll make more sense. The second type of value is in instrumental value. It's the value of objects, both physical and abstract objects, not uh, not, they don't have value in themselves, but uh, as a means of achieving something else. So I created a list of some values, intrinsic values like friendship and love and health and pleasure and beauty. They have value in and of themselves for what they stand for or for what they mean. They have value in and of themselves. Okay, Hopefully that helps a little bit. Instrumental values. Instrumental values would be transportation, tickets, safety rules, money, and some can be both. So let's kind of talk about this list for a minute. Safety rules. This morning on the way to work, or on the way to work, on the way to church, <laughs> you all drove on the right-hand side of the road, right? That's a safety rule. There's instrumental value in that. You were safe. You didn't get killed. You didn't get run over. But there's no real intrinsic value in driving on the right-hand side of the road. In fact, across the pond, they say, they drive on the other side of the road. So there's no intrinsic value in what side of the road you drive on. There's only instrumental value in that all of you do it the same way. A means to an end, and that end is that you're kept safe. So some can be both. So let's talk about friendship for a minute. Dusty and I can decide that we're going to be friends and we can work on that friendship and we can develop that friendship and that friendship in and of itself has intrinsic value. It has meaning to us. It stands on its own. Okay? That's an intrinsic friendship. Let's go back 30 years and let's pretend like Dusty's got a really good looking sister, right? And I'm not married. She's not married. And I say, you know, I'm going to be friends with Dusty so he'll introduce me to his sister. Right? So now my friendship with Dusty is instrumental, right? Because I'm using him as a means to an end to get introduced to his good-looking sister. So that we then can hopefully create a intrinsic relationship, a friendship, a love, or whatever. But I'm using him, I'm going through him to get there. Now we term that, and today we term that, I used Dusty, right? We'll say you used him. You exploited that relationship. Some people might even go so far as to say that's immoral, the way you, you use that relationship to get to something else. And so some of these things can have both. So let's go um, back to this graph that we talked about this morning. So God creates a a creation and he loves it and he gives it his mercy and grace. And this creation recognizes that God loves it. And because of that, that creation worships him and is obedient to him. And that glorifies God, which is what he wanted, which is why he created. 
What type of, uh, wh- how do you think we are? What, what is the human race? What type of value do we have in, in that diagram? We have meaning, right? Because we're choosing. Because we're choosing, we have value in and of ourselves. There's an intrinsic value in that relationship. So let's look at a different one. And this one, this is asked a lot of times. So why didn't God just create a people to worship Him? And those, His creation would worship Him, and that in turn would glorify God. So why weren't we created just as a bunch of robots that march around and go, I love Jesus? Why weren't we created in a relationship like that? Because I would be, it would be the very same way I use Dusty to get to his sister, right? God just created us to glorify himself. That's instrumental. He would be using people as a means to an end to get, him glor- get himself glorified. Intrinsic, instrumental. Does that, does that make any sense? I can go through all of this again. So God, if He created us just as robots, He would be exploiting us. He would be using us. It would be an immoral relationship. He would have created people just so He could be glorified. We would say, that is selfish? What? And God's not selfish. So it's an impossibility for God to create a relationship like this because that is not who He is. It's not His character. He placed intrinsic value in His creation. So much value in us that He would give us His Son so that we could come back to Him. A very valuable intrinsic relationship. That he created. So we've got some decisions to make. God has many amazing and incomprehensible attributes. He's, he's everything we wish perfectly. Everything we wish perfectly. He has perfect justice. He is perfectly impartial. And because he has perfect justice and he can't stand sin, we're all in trouble, right? Because we're all sinners. And so the perfect judgment of us is eternal hell. But he created a perfect plan to save us, to give us a way back. I'll offer my son as a propitiation for their sins. So that when they appear to me, they appear to me as sinless because of the blood of Christ. A perfect creation and a perfect plan because God is perfect. He has perfect knowledge. He is omniscient. He has the perfect plan. He loves us and He values us and He gives us the free will to choose. He has the plan. He created man. He knew they would fall. He knew Jesus would have to die as a propitiation for our sins before He ever started the plan. 
says, from the foundations of the earth, him and his son knew what they were getting into. They created this valuable creation to them, knowing from the very beginning what Christ was going to have to endure on the cross. And he also knew that man would have decision to make, making them intrinsically valuable. A couple of quotes. Timothy Keller said, All God does in the end with people is give them what they most want, including freedom from himself. What could be more fair than that? So in the end, you're going to have chosen, do I want to be with God or do I not? And He's going to be fair. He's going to let you do what you want. What could be more fair than that? There are two kinds of people in the end. Those who say, God, Thy will be done. And those whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. C.S. Lewis. So both of those guys are, you know, some. I think some of the descriptions were lay theologians, theologians. Some of them are novelists, but it doesn't matter who they are. What they're saying is true. We have a choice to make. God has given us the free will to make that choice. And we have that choice to make. So this morning, you have that choice, right? We offer an invitation song. Zach called out a number earlier. He offered an invite. We have an invitation song that we're going to sing, and you've got a choice to make. Today, you can change your destiny. You can change your direction. You can change it from a destiny of going to hell to one going to heaven. If you've been on that road to heaven and you've kind of struggled and fallen off the road, you know, and you need some help, you need us to pray with you, we'd be glad to do that. If there be one of either case, if you come and sit on the front pew while we stand and sing.